Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, very exciting. Uh, very exciting day, actually, because uh, I like it when... I have someone on the podcast who actually kind of very inspiring, you know, and when you have someone very inspiring on the podcast, you kind of like look at your life and go, yeah, God, I could change this. I could do that. And the person on the podcast today was very much that person. I've said person a lot now. Um, Elizabeth Day. Now, Elizabeth is, I can say that she's a good friend of mine now. She has an amazing podcast called How We Fail. She's written lots of different books, but the most recent one is um, How to Fail, which I'm reading at the moment. My friend, friend introduced me to. I went her on her podcast and chatted about life and loads of different things and she repaid the offer very kindly, came onto mine and we sat for the last hour and just chatted about the most incredible things about her life and about what she's learnt. An amazing woman. Um, so you're going to really like this one. Francis is not here again today. He's moving house. He's, he's doing lots of different things. So you just got me, my little, little solo little self, which is always good and fun because I just get to hang out and speak to you. Yeah, you, Gemma who's listening right now. Don't know if there's a Gemma, but I'm guessing. Um, anyway, enjoy the podcast. Please review and subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Private Podcast and also send us a mail. Really, really want to receive a letter. Just any sort of letter, anything at all. S79 to 81 uh, Borough Road, SE11DN uh, and sign it Jamie or Francis or Private Parts. Anyway, team, here is Elizabeth Day, who I just simply adore. Enjoy. So uh, I've I've realised something recently. What's that? Well, I've realised that um, when I was when I was younger, growing up, or when I was like in my I think still in my twenties. Now that I've reached the ripe old age of thirty, I can't go out on the weekend and eat badly. I've had exactly yeah. the same thing. Wow, I'm bloaty. I'm like I'm bloated all over the place. It's I looked I looked in the mirror and I was like my face is enormous. <laughs> not you don't look bloaty no, no I definitely am but I think I, I've had that I've had a weekend where I don't normally eat that much meat mm-hmm. and for various reasons I've been on the road I sound like a rock and roll star I've been on the road <laughs> I went out with friends who chose like a meat heavy restaurant wait wait hang on what, what do you mean a meat heavy restaurant it was literally just like it was meat and halloumi that was the menu where are you eating like in a, like in a Brazilian <laughs> kebab, barbecue kebab <laughs> Out on the road, just getting kebabs and halloumi. So, wait, so what happens when you eat red meat? Does it make you feel... It, it makes my stomach really unsettled. Mm. I'm glad that we're getting into this straight yeah. away. <laughs> so delicious for your listeners. Uh, it makes, but it's not only makes my stomach unsettled, it makes me feel unsettled. I think because mm. I'm just not used to digesting it. And I, and I get that thing as well, where I, I normally love vegetables and fruit and stuff. And yesterday I was coming back, I'd done a literature festival in Bath. and That is very rock and roll. That is living on the edge, isn't it? <laughs> that is... Wow. It's about to get even more middle class peeps because then on the way back from Bath, I realised I didn't have any food in the fridge. So I stopped off at M&S, Simply Food. Get out of town. (laughs) Get out of town. And I just bought myself a shed load of deli things that were all like chorizo slices, (laughs) tandoori prawns. And I was like, I really just need a cucumber 
Yeah, but you can't do that. Are you are you on a train as well? I want, I hate eating on trains. I think it's really antisocial. So I didn't eat on the train, but I bought it at Paddington Station and I took it home with me. We had. Um, I, I I I eat on trains, which is I agree with it. It's not a good. Thing. Yeah, I'm one of those people, and also I eat chicken on trains, which in the nicest way possible. When you first open up a sliced chicken <laughs> box from M and S, it smells distinctively like someone has released a fart yeah. <laughs> from a back. I feel like it's got a spermy smell, chicken. And like people on the train are like, oh, there's Jamie Lang from Major Jazzy just wanking off on the train. <laughs> yeah. He's just orgasmed underneath the seat again. And it does this every single time. We had the vessels, Francis and I were on a on a train. Um and we were going to we're going to do one of our gigs that we did. So we did this live tour. We we're doing one of these gigs. And this girl, we were sitting on those four. You know when you walk down the train that you hope to find like a two-seater one, but there's a you have to sit on the four-seater one. So we're like, fine. So we squeezed into the four-seater one. And the girl opposite us opened up her sushi thing. And to, to be fair to her, she said, I'm really sorry. Everyone's going to hate me, but I'm going to eat sushi in this packed train in front of everyone. I said, it's totally fine. Francis was a bit the other way and said I, I don't want to do this and so he, she was eating it and then Francis got up and, and, and went to somewhere else to go and sit somewhere else and that was fine and we started talking and all these different things and she was really friendly and super nice and we got off the train and I said goodbye to her and things like that and she walked off and Francis came up to me and we were talking about it and he said god I just really hate when people eat on trains I really can't stand it and I went and I was walking forward and he went do you know what actually it is so fucking rude when people eat on trains and the girl turned around and said well thank you for telling me now and Francis I've never seen this melt more into the crowd he went oh I didn't mean it what else did you mean <laughs> how awkward but also kudos to Francis for actually getting up and moving somewhere yeah. else because I'm way too much of a people pleaser even if I didn't like it I would be sitting there just thinking no it's fine it's fine no please go ahead and eat your sushi and- yeah yeah I, I, I'm completely like that but uh, We're so close to the microphone that it's making me really paranoid. Well, listen, I, I do it because Liam Gallagher does it in the Oasis, isn't it? Liam, or Ni- Niall? Niall Horan. No. Is he the other <laughs> <laughs> Niall Horan and Liam Gallagher, the two brothers from the Oasis, <laughs> who sing wicked songs. They, he leans on the microphone, so I've always done that. Okay. I it, don't know. It suits you, it suits you. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit different. Uh, hello everyone, welcome to Private Parts Podcast. This is where we read the most intimate and sordid details of our lives in the studio or the room with us today, Elizabeth Day. Hello. I, can I tell you one thing? I am so excited that you're here. I'm, I'm extremely excited. I'm also surprised that you decided to come on <laughs> the podcast, which is I fine. Love you. I love you and I love Made in Chelsea. And you are on my podcast, Hashfail with Elizabeth Day. Which is, if you, I, I tell you what, right now, go, pause this podcast, go and uh, listen to How to Fail by Elizabeth Day and listen to that one rather than this one, because it is such a great podcast it really is because what you do what you can explain about how what is the format of your podcast so lovely of you to say that um the format is really simple actually i get each guest to come up with three failures in advance and then we talk about them so the idea is that in learning how to fail you actually learn more about yourself and you learn how to go forward and succeed better and I think just as a culture, we're really scared of failure. And so opening up those kind of conversations and making people realise that failure is a fact and that everyone has faced it, even people that you admire from afar and that you think have everything sorted, they've also probably gone through really tough patches. Mm-hmm. Do you think, though, do you think it's, uh, do you think it's, do you think everyone fails? Or do you think that some people don't realise it's a failure and go through. For instance, you know, do we do we just go, oh, failure is a good thing because we, you know, you and I both have failed at different stuff. So it's easier for us to accept stuff that we go, well, we fail, but what do we learn from the failure? Or are there sometimes when you fail and you get no happiness or learning or, or knowledge out of doing it? I think that you can learn something from everything. And that doesn't mean that you have to be kind of Pollyanna-ish and like, relentlessly happy and upbeat all the time when stuff goes wrong it just means that I personally choose to assimilate sadness and to live with it and to choose to be at peace with it but that isn't to say that I'm still not sad about the failure so a a real example in my life is my failure to have children 
And I tried really hard and I had unsuccessful IVF and I had a miscarriage. And that's something that causes me a great deal of sadness. But I'm at peace with that sadness as well. And I also know that as a result of it, I've had many, many rich opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's how I personally choose to assimilate failure. But obviously, I speak from a position of privilege. I'm kind of white, middle class, and I own a laptop. So (laughs) that does actually that does make you when you own the laptop at the end and you eat chorizo from M&S. That's I'm a living Holy cliche. shit, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I, can... I mean, I'm just not being schooled by someone from Made in Chelsea. Come on. I'll get ready for it. It is going to come <laughs> thick and fast. <laughs> Jamie, before we started recording, was talking about how Elephant and Castle in London is an up-and-coming area. Now, it's meant to be no, very edgy. No, you said it's up-and-coming, and I said I looked down on it. That's, that's, that's what I said. Good, good. I went, hello. Yeah, so everyone, we just alienated everyone away from Elephant Castle. But it's interesting if you, because... Um, you know, you you do, and it was we did our, your podcast, and I was super excited. We went to you were amazing. I, I know you don't think you were, but you really were amazing. I, for some reason, but I, I don't know because I don't. I, in all honesty, I don't normally care about what I say. You know, I've done Made in Chelsea, which is a reality show where I've said and done lots of silly things, and said and done some good things, but most of it very silly. And so I don't really care what people think of me that much. I do in certain ways, but a lot of people that I don't know, but people who I suppose I admire. And this is what I've worked out. People that I admire and things that I really want to do well on, I really worry about doing well on it. So I came on your podcast, big fan of the podcast, huge fan of yours. And um, I then just chatted at you for about an hour. And in my head, I kept going, Jamie, you should probably shut up now. But I just didn't. No, you didn't chat at me at all. But that's very sweet that you thought that you did. Actually, you asked me more questions than anyone who's ever been on the podcast before. And I think it's because you do this and you're such a natural interviewer and you're also naturally interested in others which is a lovely quality but then the whole premise of my podcast is is very much to get people to tell their stories so it's good that you were talking (laughs) to me (laughs) but it's an interesting tactic right yeah i'm just talking at you but how do you there's a few things actually first i want to find out actually the first thing is is when we did your podcast because i actually my friend georgie who uh, again is a big fan of yours she told me to she said you've got to read this book you got to read this book, How to Fail. And I went, okay, I'll find I'll read it. And then what happened was, is that then you asked me to come on your podcast when I, when Georgie had told me to read this book. So I was like, fine, I hadn't read the book at that point and I'm reading it at the moment. And we did, we spoke about the fact that uh, you couldn't have children. I had no idea that that was the case, but I, I sort of questioned you about it. I said, well, how do you feel about, you know, you haven't had children? And you got really yeah. upset by it and it really moved me. I was like, oh God, what have I done here i opened up saying but what is so amazing that you are so open and honest about stuff and you open people up in your interviews that's what you do very well but how have you always been open and honest or have you sometimes been closed and then opened up how did that work that's such a great question and um i haven't always been this open no it was actually a conscious decision that i made because i grew up my parents are really wonderful and we are also a typical English middle-class family where a lot of <laughs> big emotional stuff is left unsaid. And you just eat treats, though. Sorry, you just <laughs> yeah, eat treats. You eat treats, though. You just, that's you <laughs> just, yeah. That's how middle-class. <laughs> I'm, I'm so old that chorizo didn't even come on the scene until I was like 18. You're not old. <laughs> You're not old at all. Come on. We just had sausages. We just had cocktail sausages Delicious. and sausage rolls. Um But growing up, I also not only had that kind of family environment, but I grew up in the north of Ireland. So as you can hear, I've got a very English accent. And we moved to Northern Ireland when there was still effectively a civil war raging. There were bombs going off left, right and centre. And in certain quarters, being English marked you out as the occupier. And that's all a long-winded way of saying that I began to speak a lot less and listen a lot more. And I was quite closed off and I wasn't myself. And... I found school really tough and um, I ended up getting a scholarship to a boarding school in England. And as soon as I got to that, excuse me, as soon as I got to that school in England, I was automatically accepted just because I sounded right, even though I didn't actually come from the same background. It was it was bizarre. And a bit like you, I always wanted to please people. And I think that was a lot to do with starting a new school. And Mm. it was sort of sink or swim. You had to win people around. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Especially a boarding school, because you're Mm. completely on your own. And um, 
And then that lasted into my 20s. And I was just this inveterate people pleaser. And I never took the time to sort of know myself. I kind of outsourced my sense of self-worth to other people, whether that be in romantic relationships or work relationships. And um, it was only really when I got married and then I got divorced in my mid-30s that I had this sudden realisation that I hadn't been being honest with myself. So not only had I not been open, I hadn't been open with myself. And that was really a massive turning point for me because I realised that my best friend Emma at the time said, it is so much better when you are real and when you're being honest about yourself because I've been so worried about being this dark ugly person Mm. and actually by being open and honest about the things that were going wrong and the shame that I felt about my marriage ending it opened up this whole new lease of life it's so interesting because I think that's what I think people have that self-awareness is so key to suddenly realize in yourself that you know you have to sort of look in yourself and realize the issues and the problems and accept them um but it kind of, you know, you go back to when you were in Northern Ireland in the school and you weren't accepted because, you know, you were an introvert and you didn't want to speak because people were mean to you because you were seen as an outsider. And holy shit. I mean, growing up as a kid is really hard, but you kind of, whatever happens to you as a child, you kind of harbour to when you're an adult as well. And you must have then hated going to school every single day and you must have really didn't want to do it. And because you weren't accepted, you must, and that's a really kind of terrible thing to experience and did you not tell your parents that this was happening you didn't tell anyone oh it was really tough and actually to this day I'm so glad I'm no longer at school I'm so happy I hated school yeah everyone said to me school is the the best time no it's not school is not this is the glory is no it can't be it annoyed me so much when adults would tell me that I was like what's the rest of my life going to be like because I'm miserable am I going to be in a worse prison than this (laughs) it was so Um, horrible I I'm trying to remember now if I did I I ended up telling my parents but I was also one of those children I was very mature for my age I I that's how I came across anyway and I had an older sister and my parents always encouraged me to like have an opinion and things like that. So I seemed very grown up, but actually I was still a child. Mm. And I think it was that disconnect for me. I was like, I don't want to let anyone down by saying that I'm not handling this. But eventually I did have to say something. And I left, I was taken out of school like halfway through the year. And, and that was really, it really did save me from myself, honestly. Because the school I went to in England, because I was immediately accepted was really good for my confidence and it was an all-girls school and that was also good and um and I don't know what would have happened to me if I if I just stayed in my old school and I just lost more and more confidence because it's such a key age when you're God, it's so early key. adolescence is so tough yeah it really it really is and it? it's it's like I said, it's such a key age for development I spoke to a really it's so funny I spoke to a really good friend of mine the other day um who I won't say it is even though why would the audience know who it is? But I'm just not going to say who it is. Um, and we were talking to him and he, uh, me and him are really close. And he's always had a bit of an issue with um, trying to be someone. You know, he's try, you know he, he sort of walks around in a certain posture. He is was, it Alex Mitten? It's not Alex Mitten. Alex Mitten doesn't care. About, the guy's in Cuba at the moment smoking cigars in a, in a car I saw on his Instagram. But he's just the best. But uh, this my buddy of mine, he walks around with this like, posture. And, you know, when you used to get drunk, he used to, you know, get aggressive with people. And he has, he's about my height, my height so he's a little bit little. And he was, you know, would be mean to strangers and all these different things. And we went away together recently and we sat and chatted and we got quite deep about stuff because recently I've just quite liked getting deep about things I don't know why and he said when he was from the ages of about nine to 13 he went to school and he was bullied and he was bullied hard and he was always slightly left out and he was made fun of because he came from a wealthy background and he had a driver and his he would tell his driver to drop him off two like tube stops so then he would get on the tube and pretend he had taken the tube and and at that age it's terrible and then so it suddenly all clicked in my head that I was like well this is no doubt why you have all of these sort of anger issues and you feel like you have to pretend you're someone you're not in these certain situations and you know he said that he walks because he walks with this odd posture sometimes you know really straight back almost like it's purposely done and I was like to him why do you you know that's why he he said he did that because he was small at school so he'd have to try and make himself look taller and it honestly broke my heart that so many people experience these things and they don't say anything the entire, and you were the same you didn't you just dealt with it so heartbreaking that it's terrible 
Uh, yeah, I, I don't know how many of you will have watched Derry Girls, which is this incredible yeah, I, I, it's sitcom. It's amazing. I've seen bits of it. Yeah, it's very, very funny. I was basically the weird English dude in that. Like, that was my experience. <laughs> Note perfect. So, so sweet. <laughs> I was such a nerd. And because I also grew up in the middle of the countryside. Wait, no, because you, you wanted to learn or you like learning or you were told to be a rebel in a sense where you're like, you have to have an opinion. No, I, I was really, uh, yeah, I was good at learning. I was good academically. I loved reading from a very early age. Um, and I Yeah, got, that's, a, that's a death wish. I know. <laughs> that, I, know so then I listened to The Archers from the age of four. No. No, I like, wore corduroy trousers. I was honestly, I know it's hard to believe now, Jamie. I was a total dweeb. Uh-huh. And because uh, I use words like dweeb as well. So um, by the time I got to secondary school, I was just, I was just a sort of... I was thrown to the lions. I had yeah. no idea. I had no concept of how I came across. And I went to this secondary school where there was like a thousand people in a year. And I had a neon orange backpack. And Sick. A, you know, I was just like, I didn't have it. And I loved Agatha Christie. I mean, can you imagine that in Belfast? <laughs> <laughs> what was I doing to myself? But yeah, it, that totally stayed with me. But do you know what's interesting is that I think it gave me an enormous amount of drive. To, yeah, completely. Because I really wanted to prove myself. And I really wanted to prove all of those people who'd underestimated me wrong. And I still have that. And it's interesting that we're meeting on Monday because Jamie and I were at the British Podcast Awards on Saturday night. Where... <laughs> Furious. We are both absolutely raging about the fact that we didn't win. I'm, I'm fucking annoyed. I, 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 I'm so, do you know, I think it's good to claim one's anger and I'm fucking annoyed too. Yeah, but, but you should be more annoyed because you should have won it. And that's not, I, that, that's not me trying to butter you up or anything like that. You actually should have. Honestly, so I, I told you this story. So to all our listeners, basically, we British Podcast Awards, you know, um, you get nominated for whatever category is, you know, from anything from best entertainment to best interviewer to best branded. And you go into this auditorium, you have drinks before and all the different podcast people. And if you're a podcast fan, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit like, oh, there's, there's, you know. Chris, Joan and Jerry. Joan and Jerry. Yeah. And there's, Fern Cotton. Yeah, there's Fern Cotton. Oh my God, I listen to you every week. It's quite nice to sort of have that sort of moment with people. Anyway, you sit down and you have your, you, you wait for your category, category to come up and you have five nominees. And then out of the five nominees, they do a gold, silver and bronze. And the last two don't even get mentioned. So, so, so there's definitely a, there's, you, you definitely know who's last and second last pretty much. So anyway, uh, Elizabeth's category came up, which was best interviewer. Yeah, I was actually in two. two you were in two. Sorry, yeah, she was in two. <laughs> Not that I'm caring. She likes to brag but... <laughs> about that. She likes to brag a lot. How many were you in? Jamie? Elizabeth actually sent me a one. message. I was going, uh, "How many uh, categories are you in?" I went, oh, "I just want." She went, oh, "I'm in two. <laughs> I could. Anyway, so the categories came up, and. Um, so Elizabeth's one came up <laughs> and you, you'd, already, you'd already not won in one yes, category. Yes, all right. Yeah, so and I'd presented an award, which is kind of even worse. <laughs> yeah, you had a triple threat going on. Yeah. You were presenting an award and you were in two categories and you won sweet fuggle. Yeah. <laughs> so actually, you're the bigger loser here. <laughs> so anyway, your category came up for best interviewer. And honestly, hand on my heart, if you haven't listened to our podcast, go listen because you, you do it in such a gracious way and you open people up. Uh, metaphorically. And, and uh, you, it came up and they said, bronze and it wasn't you and i turned to our producer a guy called pete uh next time i went she's got this <laughs> elizabeth has got this silver someone else here we go if i if i was a betting man i'd bet my house at this stage i'm now thinking oh i've okay, got it. maybe i'm i'm probably i'm probably in with a chance <laughs> so it comes to the gold and the great thing about the podcast awards is when they when they read out the winner of the gold, before they read out the winner, they mention what the judges thought <laughs> of the podcast. So best interviewer, here we go. It's going to be Elizabeth Day. They get up on stage and gold is to someone we think outshone everyone <laughs> in the category by a million miles. With their, and then they're like, with their empathy and their gentle coaxing out of people's vulnerable stories. And again, at this stage, I am not an arrogant person and I didn't think I was going to win. But I was like, at this stage, I was like, I mean, that is me. They are describing me. <laughs> and then I, at this point, turned to Pete Strauss, you know, and they, you know, empathy, you know, they just charisma. It's just, like, oh, you know, this, I don't know. And I didn't even, I just gave him that knowing look. 
And we went, I didn't even say it, but I, I, I sort of thought and telepathically said to him, told you so. And then it came and the winner is, it wasn't you. <laughs> Which means that you came either last I or know. second last in the category. <laughs> I know. And I was just like, oh, oh, okay. I just as carefully rearranged my face. Ter- yeah, ter- Start clapping. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was, I was, I was furious. I, when our category was called out, uh, best entertainment 2019. Who even won that one? I have I no idea, and I don't care. Now yeah. I don't care. <laughs> um, anyway, it, it went bronze, silver, and then it was going to go. And I was like, I was like, fuck, we, we're going to do this. <laughs> we're going to do it. We're actually going to do it. And then they called out the winner, who I don't know, and I went, what? <laughs> out loud, huh? I've waited two hours for the I second think- last one. To find out that I haven't won and everyone else had gone. I, I, honestly, as soon, I was sitting next to Fern Gosson, who was absolutely lovely, and she was up for one award and presenting one award. She presented her award, her category was then announced, she didn't win, and then she left. Yeah, yeah, she was out the door in a heartbeat, <laughs> which, I, which I, I would have been as well if I had lost. 100%. If I don't win it, I'm out. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But I think part of the reason that I, I mean, we're joking about it. Are you going to try and defend yourself now? No, I'm not. I'm only kidding. I'm not that annoyed getting our coffee downstairs. I am furious. I am annoyed, but I'm not. I'm trying. I'm seeking an explanation, which is that I think it dates from those school days of A, wanting to prove myself, but B, wanting to be part of a group and wanting to be accepted. Completely. And podcasting for me has been an amazing experience because it's a very accepting community both in terms of the generosity of listeners and also meeting people like you and like hanging out with other podcasters is so lovely. It's a very supportive environment. So I felt like at that award ceremony, I was like, I'm finally with my people. And then they just fucking rejected <laughs> yeah, yeah, me. I'm finally, and I'm finally, me off. finally a leader. I'm finally <laughs> a leader. But it's, but it's funny how you say that because it is, it's very much a community, this podcast. Right? And that's what I love more than anything. You know, we started Private Parts as a podcast where it was just chatting uh, amongst, you know, Francis and, and whoever. And it wasn't even where we were interviewing people. And then I realized that very much had a ceiling. So I was like, how do we expand? But uh, interviewing people and meeting people, firstly, what I love about it. You've been a journalist, you know, all your life. Uh, literally all your life you've been a journalist. Yeah. Um, and we're going to get into that. But for me... I've always loved people and I've always thought people were super interesting and, and that's how I've always gained knowledge. I never got it through books or education because I just couldn't be bothered. But I could be bothered to be making friends with people. So I, I, knew, I was very good at sport and I wanted to be good at sport, so I was good at sport. I was very bad at education, so I didn't want to do it, so I didn't do it. I wasn't bad, I just wasn't interested. But I was interested in people and so I would listen to people because then if I knew if I listened to them, then they would probably like me because I was engaging with them and that's how I sort of gained knowledge and that's still how I gain knowledge now. And for me, it, firstly, you probably felt the same. Doing an interviewing a podcast, especially one-on-one, is a tricky thing. It's, it's not easy, especially if you get someone who's a bit you know tricky to interview. Uh, but also, it, it teaches you a craft and you just learn so much about the human psyche and that's what I 
really love it. Plus, we're in this community, which you said, of the podcasters, and yeah. everyone's kind of helpful with each other. I totally agree. And I think one of the keys to any good interview, but particularly podcasting, is listening, which is which you do brilliantly. I know you were joking earlier about talking at me, but you, you do really listen, and you make something flow like a natural conversation, which is an amazing skill. Um, and yeah, you're so, I've learned so much doing what I do with failure that it's super interesting now because I do, as you say, have a book out and I've been going around the country promoting it and eating chorizo from M&S Simply Food in your, outlets. Yeah, but you, you demand to have, you demanded a tour bus, didn't you? Yeah, you absolutely. demanded that Just tour. a bowl of blue M&Ms <laughs> and some chorizo slices. Um, but but I, often in the Q&A after I do a book event, the questions are all about someone going through a particular life challenge. At that moment in time? Yes. Okay. And they will ask for advice. And it's a very beautiful thing that someone is willing to share their story that way. And I'm extremely honoured by it. And I also worry that I'm not worthy because I'm not professionally qualified. Um, But I always find that I do have things to say. And then I realised yesterday that that's because I have learned an enormous amount, exactly as you were saying, from the people I've spoken to. And in a way, I probably have spent much more time thinking about failure and what it means and what resilience is and how we operate separately from our thoughts and all that sort of stuff than a lot of people. So, um, and that's that's purely being through talking and listening. Yeah, totally. I, I, I completely agree. There are, I remember when, I think it's because we, you know, each individual has been through a hard time. So if you are, you know, if you're a painter, you'd love to talk about art and you can talk about that. If you, uh, you know, my mum loves to talk about her kids because she loves her kids and she, you know, she was just one of those mums who did. And, and you know, with someone like you who, who's, you know, you had failure and been through different things. And same with me, who we spoke on your podcast about, I had anxiety and stuff like that. I really find that connection with people and I love to talk about it because people are going through certain issues that I can relate to. I go, oh God, I know how you're feeling now, but I know how you can feel in the future. Yeah. And, I, and, and you really want to help them because you your kind of inner soul comes out and, and, and you realise that it's a horrible thing that they're feeling at the moment or, or whatever it is and they're going to get past it. And that's why I think it's quite kind of... We like to talk about those things. I, t- I tell you, I think life is about connection. And if yeah. I'm connecting, that's that's all I can ask, really. But I'm really interested in you as someone who... Are you just flipping this around? Are you yes. Gonna, are you gonna, are you gonna, See what I'm doing now. Are you going to try and... It's so funny. I said, this is what I said to Elizabeth again, is that it's really weird. When I, we're so used to interviewing other people yeah. that when you then are being interviewed, you're kind of a bit like... Hang on a second. I, uh, You're a bit rabbit in the headlights. I'm yeah. like, what? I don't know what I think. Yeah, I don't know what I think, but I know what I can ask you next. Yeah. <laughs> okay, ask the question, go. I'm really interested because we ha- we've spoken in the past about being people pleasers mm-hmm. and that idea of, um, as you say, learning from other people and, and connecting with other people. On Made in Chelsea, how difficult is it then when you're not encouraged but there's like a storyline which is about you not liking someone and them not liking you i think there's a few i think that uh, i think firstly in life you have to develop um and whatever way that is you have to learn you have to develop and you have to grow in certain ways and whereas before if i had an argument with someone i would probably fought back or bit back or design in fact it's it's not not the right way to behave and do things so i kind of learned that way I don't for some reason I'm such a people person but I uh, I really care about what my friends think and I really care about people I admire or even more so maybe than my friends um, that and that was actually another issue that I want to talk to you about as well but the sorry friends but when it comes to people that I suppose that I think I don't really it's, it's, it's like Marmite with me sometimes. If I don't think I care about them that much, I don't mind saying something to them. So it's very weird. Yeah. So it's very funny. My friend said to me, um, you know, when I was breaking up with my ex-girlfriend, uh, he was like to me, I said, oh God, I just can't do that. I was having a real troubling time with the whole situation. He said, Jamie, it's so interesting with you. If it's something to do with business or it's something to do with someone else, you're very, you're straight. That's how it is. But when it comes to this side, you're so weak. And I went, I know, because I just don't want people that I care about to dislike me. And as we spoke again with you, it goes back to that whole situation at the beginning when parents got divorced, my nanny left, 
Uh, I was sent to boarding school and all of that separation I then harbored for so many years. And so I was so worried about abandonment. I was so worried that if I rocked the boat with an individual that I loved or cared about, they would then go, actually, no, I don't want this. And then that manifests itself onto different things where... You know, I won't, someone will say to me, oh, Jim, you want to come to my birthday party? I know I can't come, but at that moment in time, I can't let them down because they won't like me. So what I'll do is I'll say, yes, I can come, but in the future, no, I have to find another time to let them down in a different way, whether it's an excuse or whether it's that. And it's the worst way to be, but for some reason, that is the only thing in my system that I can't quite get over. And I've learned so much stuff, but for some reason, that is my one tick, my one bit where the fact that I care too much about what people think and I worry about them but then on the flip side of that is I don't really care too much maybe I would do if someone I don't know doesn't like me I don't mind too much that's so interesting because I think that's the key to ultimate enlightenment because I think I started out in life and it's taken me a really really long time and I'm still not there just caring what everyone thought of me. Did you get every, every single person? Everyone. But being a journalist and being a novelist, that Nightmare. is... Nightmare. Yeah, because <laughs> your, 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 your work is about being criticised. Exactly. Especially, in positive or negative, right? Yeah, especially because I, I've been a journalist during the time that uh, this, this thing called the internet has really taken hold. Um, so what were you before? Did you have a typewriter? When you... Basically, it was just like a quill pen. <laughs> so. And, um, and a quill. slave boy who like, wrote it... it chiselled it into a piece of slate <laughs> you used your abacus just to <laughs> I am I do sound like I'm making myself sound like I'm 95 yes. years old I'm Elizabeth, really sorry Elizabeth anyway. is 140 <laughs> <laughs> um, but I basically lived through the era of online commenting and um, I used to work for the Guardian Media Group and that's ferocious that's got a ferocious online commenting community. but why because because um, I think it's because a lot of people who read The Guardian or The Observer probably know a lot because they're intelligent thinking people. Okay, and fine. And they like to comment. They and like- they like to comment. And therefore, when you get something wrong, there's nowhere to hide. Nor should there be. That's, that's right that I'm held to account. But then you also get people who can comment anonymously, who are kind of bitter that you have a platform and that you're writing this thing. <clears throat> and who a lot of the time are really misogynist and like, you know, how dare a woman raise her voice in this way. You didn't have that. Oh, massively. Are I got accused serious? of everything from having sand in my vagina to... <laughs> Which, which I, I don't. Uh, which, which everyone always thinks. <laughs> why would someone comment? Is that why on... I didn't win the British podcast? <laughs> yeah, because I heard them mutter on the bed. She has Fucking sand hell. in her vagina. <laughs> why would someone comment that? What is that? What is that? A, a, a meta? What is that? A, a, I think trying it to meant, suggest. I think you know what? I think they were trying to imply that I had I was humourless and dry. <laughs> like I was literally like straight over my it? head. <laughs> I would. So many people have said so many things about sandy things to me and I've gone, well, I haven't been to a beach, so you're the idiot. I didn't realise they were suggesting things. Wow. I also love the way that you presented that. Well, I assume, I, I would, if I had to think about it, it would probably be... That sure they have I, their reasons. You, you knowing as well that one. They went, well, I would, you know, I would think that... So you had all these comments, these negative comments, and that is terrible that as a woman you, you were kind of ridiculed just because of your sex. Yeah. He, and, and loads of women in public life get that. Death threats, everything. Uh, it, it's, and it's really an, a massive issue. And I don't... Still now? Still, yes. Has it changed, got worse or got easier or what? I think it's changing. And I think that's because it's become... People have become so much more aware of it being a visible problem. Therefore, people are more likely to call it out. But I still think that there's this kind of... <clears throat> excuse me, like latent bubbling hatred in our society for people who have the temerity to exist outside the box that other people feel comfortable putting them in. So, uh, and I think that's particularly true with women and it's particularly true with people of colour and it's particularly true if you're in any sort of minority space. So and that's something that I, you know, I think is extremely important to tackle and keep talking about. Mm-hmm. I've got really deep and serious, don't you? No, no, I know. On, no, no, no. Honestly, please, I, more deep the serious the better. Because... Yeah. This is what we've realised on this podcast is that perhaps we, um, I really want to now drift into tackling interesting subjects, uh, but possibly in the, in, with a light and humorous way sometimes. Yeah. And this is what we've been trying to do. And this is why we're getting, you know, talking about these different things. But it is, but for you, right, this is what I find so funny is that you, you cared so much about what people thought. Uh, you were, and you became a journalist and 
because that sort of is writing about other people so you could connect with other people but then also other people can comment on yeah. your work as well so you're kind of harboring everything that you desire about being liked and being connected but also people liking you and do you think that's a subconscious thing or you just generally just like journalism um, I think it's both. I, I got into journalism because I've loved writing and that's all I ever wanted to do in my in my life was write books. And I thought that the journalism was a good way towards that, to kind of hone that skill. But I do think that on a subconscious level, I was seeking outside approval to an extent where I would never be sated because you can't please everyone all the time. And if you are, then you're not producing anything of worth. Yeah. And it's been a huge because you're not because you're not being risky. You're not you're not pushing boundaries, and you're not yeah, and you're not being true to yourself. And actually, great art or a great piece of writing or a great piece of television should provoke strong opinion. That's its job. If everyone is sitting around not really having an opinion, then it means it's mediocre. And and so that's how I've sort of come to deal with that but I also have very practical measures of dealing with it in that I no longer check online comments I don't read liar. my Amazon no liar. genuinely Jamie absolutely don't you I never, promise you, you so when I promise you I don't so your new book came out How to Fail and you didn't check any of the anything comments anything like that ever there's just no way I don't believe you you would have got had a glass of wine and gone oh fuck it I'll just have a quick okay, maybe I've skimmed I've skimmed through but what I I don't do it anymore. I, I, sure. I did that because what I I realised that I have some five star reviews on Amazon, and also inevitably I have a one star that you haven't read. And no, you see, this is this is why it's bad because yeah. I'm going out seeking the bad stuff, course, like a scab that I need to pick. But because because that's that's how you're built like me we yeah. you, we go towards the negative even as mine i and sorry i remember the time we had an unbeaten rugby match in my midgets i still remember it midgets which is my first year at uh Radley college so I was midgets four, we called them midgets so That's it was a, not accepted yeah. anymore <laughs> yeah, no, we called them midgets this is what our, our team was called God. midgets yeah okay. actually come to think of it we'd never looked at that way yeah, that is terrible they shouldn't be called that but the first year the first school the first a-team rugby team in the first year at Radley College is five years. So you go from 14 to 18. Your first rugby team is called the Midgets. Midgets A, Midgets B, Midgets C. And I was a Midgets A and we had an unbeaten season. But I didn't score a try in the last game. And so my whole season was a disappointment because I hadn't done that. Mm. We always go towards the negative. Totally. But there was a passage in your book that I read that really related to me. And I can't remember what it says. And you, it's at the beginning, but you say something like... Um, I drifted from something that I, I, I went from friends to friends. What is the, you, you talked about. I think that was about uh, relationships, but I, I would always be in a romantic relationship and I would have lined up the plan B for if that relationship went wrong. Did you do that? Yes. Yes. Really? And it's because I was terrified of being alone and therefore being forced to look at myself and think, you see, you're not worthy. But if I was with someone then that would be a sort of manifestation of the fact that I belonged and that someone wanted to be with me. And, and actually, uh, of course, that was never sustainable and it never made me happy. And I wasn't fair to the people I was with because of it. Oh, two things here. I just wanted, the, first, the first thing, I don't, that, that wasn't, there was one... Just, that wasn't the quote. Jamie's like, no, trying no. to be polite me. No, like, no. That wasn't it. <laughs> there was a quote which you said, I, I, you know, drifted from friendship group to friendship group. And you said, I don't know what evidence, but I want to talk about this relationship thing, but you went from, yeah. Yes. Okay. So that, I think maybe when I left school in Ireland and I went to school in England, I approached my first day at school as if it was like a Machiavellian exercise. I was like, this is how I'm going to survive. <laughs> it's like, I am going to befriend the most, I'm going to identify the most popular girl in my class and I'm going to befriend her and that way I'll be okay. And that's exactly what I did. And same, I was same, totally as my friend, yeah, same as my friend, what he did, he said, oh, I'm going to make sure that I'm not the one who's left on the, the step again. But, but I... Was it that passage? It wasn't that passage either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you know my own book. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do. do. No, it was just it talked about because it was for, for me. What I realized is that you you always lined up a plan, but you're always looking one step ahead. You're playing a game of chess with your life in a sense. You're going right. This I'm going to make this move in this person, but oh, I need to protect myself a bit later on and do that. And what I realized with friendships, and I think I told you this, is that I being selfish and things like that. I realized that I would make friends with people and very close connections with people, but then I would uh, go and do something else and find someone else who. And it was always about me admiring people. So whoever I admired, because I suppose I lacked a paternal figure in my life. I lacked a, a father figure, so I, I admired male authority. I admired people who were in strong male. That's why I've always been friends with older people, guys. Uh, I've always sort of admired them different ways. But I realized that what I was doing at 20... I remember 27, we were going... I had been parting off and I had jumped from sort of different friends and things like that and I remember we were going to the south of France to film out there and it was the night before and I remember sitting there and thinking god who do I phone I've kind of just jumped from one place to the next and I haven't really settled and I've kind of neglected a lot of my friends and and friends are like gardeners you have to water them to make them grow right and I didn't realize that and I'd been internally selfish for so long and suddenly I had to go oh shit and I suddenly had to just start reconnecting with all those people that I had sort of just let down along the way without even thinking about it and that was the moment in my life where I was like oh shit I can't behave this way but with you with your relationships do you think um and how do I put this delicately delicately Because uh, do you think you were a massive whore? <laughs> <laughs> but you were you you obviously you, you know you were incredibly te- are incredibly intelligent and very beautiful. So did you know that you could attract anyone you wanted to? And so you, when you say in in a way, does that sound really? <laughs> no, that sounds. Do, totally... do you know? So you said I can meet this one, but I know that I can find Wait, someone so, else. So opposite from that. Like, thank really? you so much for saying that. That's a lovely thing God, to I'm, say. I thought you were hyperventilating. <laughs> No, that's an incredibly, what a compliment. I never, ever thought that about myself and don't. So uh, so actually I had, I was extremely insecure and it was all about for me like, oh God, uh, someone else wants to be with me. Thank fuck. <laughs> let me, let me go out with that person now for at least two years. <laughs> I, I, I never. Did you have um, a timeline on it? Did you say right? No, I, I'm making it sound no, like it's slightly more strategic, but. It, it was that thing of, um, I, it was almost like, oh, I can't believe this person wants to be with me. It was all, and, and it makes me sad saying that now because I, I look back and I think, what a waste. And not that I regret any of it because it was a journey I had to go on to understand myself, but I, but I feel like it was slightly pathetic as well. I mean, I would be in relationships and someone, my boyfriend at the time would say something like, where do you want to go for lunch? And I'd be like, I don't know, where do you want to go? I don't mind. Go, let's go wherever you want to you're go. You're just, just, just being, just being a girlfriend. You're just, just being, yes. you didn't have any, but that's exactly. so funny. But coming from such a place and we got to get onto my diary because otherwise we're pushing your time. I'm so sorry. But no, the, I love it. Can are you sure? Let's no, do can. Joe Rogan. God, let's do this for eight <laughs> yeah, hours. I it. can't wait. Two weeks. Oh, here we go. <laughs> God. Uh, so, but it's so funny because you went from a place where you uh, read all these books about uh, empowered women and, uh, and you were in places about, you know, told by your parents that you had to have an opinion. And then you went all from that kind of place where you 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 were smart and were told these different things, but then went to a place where you had no voice and you just accepted. It's such a... Well done. Well <laughs> done. To doffing my cat interviewer cat Let me just you, really unpick you. As that's person. an amazing observation and you're absolutely right. And I think it, it, this is part of my divided self in which at school and professionally, I've done well that's the thing right so yeah so I could I could do exams but I never thought it was because I was clever I thought it was because I was like oh no I've learnt and someone has taught me how to do an exam well and how to write an essay well I didn't think it was like innate intelligence and then work-wise um I knew that I could write these but these were all things that I saw as slightly separate from myself they were things that I did me as a person existing in my personal life that didn't translate. That that modicum of confidence didn't translate. And I didn't have confidence in me, in me as an individual, aside from what I did. Because you didn't have the answers. When it came to exams, you had answers. And so you you knew, you, you, you revised, you learned it, you knew the answer, and so yes. fine. But then... But then weirdly enough, because you would have done English, I assume, and you would have done... You didn't. You're shaking your head. I, I did yeah. English a but I did history at university. Your favourite colour is purple. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know me so well. <laughs> right, on that note, we've got to quickly get onto my die, because otherwise okay. we're going to be running on. This is uh, a real twist of uh, conversation, but um, as we like to do in Pro Pots, here's my diary. 
Sunday. Also, Willie, I've written this sitting next to uh, a person who writes for a living, so please um, critique me any way you want. I won't read the comments, though, <laughs> like you. Will you feel like a failure as a person if I critique your writing? Nah, <laughs> like I would. Because <laughs> you I'm don't going, respect me, I I'm get going, it. You don't respect me, so it's fine. Look, Liz, I don't admire you in any way. You are merely cattle to me. <laughs> You're cattle... And you have a bit of a following. So I thought, well, whatever you say goes in one ear, yeah. out the other. And you only admire men. That's yeah. the other thing. I only admire. like men. I hate women. Fine. <laughs> Sunday. Actually, weird on that. I actually admire women more than men because I grew up with three sisters who were just the best. And you speak very highly of your mother. Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. On the podcast, which is a really lovely quality. Well, well just because I just realised that, you know, she, I mean, we, but she was just such a strong lady. Anyway, Sunday. <laughs> I had an adventurous but slightly scary Sunday. Adventurous because I went to watch my friend Rob run in the Hackney Marathon. And scary because I went and watched my friend Rob <laughs> run in the Hackney Marathon. <laughs> I feel like as soon as you enter East London, you're there. There is a height restriction. Everyone needs to be slim and over six foot. You have to either have a tattoo or a piercing. Both are welcomed. And skinny jeans are the preferable dress wear. Thank God I was able to show off my cool Peter Pan tattoo. <laughs> It's the third time I spent a day in Hackney and I feel part of the community, part of the family. I arrived at the marathon to the onslaught of runners. I didn't quite know what I expected, but there were so many runners running. It's a marathon. I managed to get myself to mile 11, where I was to meet my group of supporters supporting our friend. My group of supporters? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I have a group of supporters who follow me wherever I go. Just a crowd that yeah, claps. Yeah, just cheers me. They just clap and yeah. hand me pims. I finally found them smiling amongst other supporters. I was across the road from them, blocked by a sea of marathoners. It's the word marathoners, isn't it? I shouted, waved hands, screamed their names, but to no avail. They couldn't hear me. The only way to get to them was to wait for the optimum moment for a gap to appear and dart across the road like a whippet. The moment came. I braced myself and went for it. I darted, dived, dove like a jack-in-the-box, erupting through the runners with ease until I came to the last moment. And out of nowhere, a runner, who had been giving his all for 11 miles, came at me and crashed straight into me. I looked at him. He looked at me with pure hatred. I looked at him back, embarrassed. He got up, looked again at me and said, I always thought you were a cock. Oh, my God! Out. The biggest jab I've ever had from a man I've never met. <laughs> Sir, whoever you are, I'm sorry. It was... I couldn't believe it. Stop, that's... I always thought you were a cock. Also, he must have been panting by that stage, but he found enough breath <laughs> to say that. Exhausted. He's exhausted. <laughs> Uh, oh, hey Elizabeth, we, uh, that's the end of part one But we still have another part to go Which is a little bit shorter so don't worry about it Can't wait See you in part two <laughs>